So tonight there's the um, many things that could be said, and I'm trying to think of something that's useful at this particular time. It seems we're still uh, in the process of settling in, stabilizing, building up a, a continuum of practice, continuum of uh, sustained attention. And of course, that flags from time to time. Mm. Knowing how to service your own energy is an important part of that mm. all the good will in the world to to wake up and to be attentive um, has to be backed up by the capacity to do so this is a certain energetic requirement and this uh, uh, goes hand in hand with uh, the, the very process of, of waking up that is the, the in a way the realizations of truth and the realizations of awareness, the realizations of presence, actually support the strengthening of the practice. They don't, you know, they, they feed back in to the practice because every realization, in a way, settles you back into stability, back into a uh, 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 sense of. of um, proper balance, proper energy. A lot of our uh, confusions is just through energetic imbalance. Basically um, being pulled out, world around pulled out, or sinking down. These, uh, in Buddhist language, this bhava is the being pulled out into things. We're actually revving, uh, you know, trying to make something, push something through, make something work, get out of that rather difficult, unsettled, ambiguous, irresolute uh, experience uh, of which which things, which conditions and our lives can manifest in, get into something more uh, clear, sharper, harder, better. You know, more positive. So a lot of it's like that. This bhava makes something happen, make this work. And certainly in meditation, this is a big thing. You know, make this thing work, will you? <laughs> you know, and sometimes the kind of you know the the impatience and the the sort of mood swings. Are the same as when you're stuck with a, in a car that isn't quite going properly, you get out and kick the wheels or sulk or something like that. Make it work. Mm. Just noticing how, you know, if you, when that energy, when that habit of energy takes over in terms of practice, then one sets up goals that are notionally okay, you know, you know, clarity, samadhi, mindfulness, liberation, and so on. So the ideas are good ones, good enough ideas, but um, they are being held in the wrong way. There's always trying to get to them. You know. So there's a certain forcefulness, pushiness, uh, there's a leaning over, out of presence, and there's a real um, lack of of basic understanding and faith that that these things, the liberation, mindfulness, samadhi, and so forth, arise out of presence, out of balance, out of being where we are, out of clarifying where we are, out of harmonizing where we are already. 
clearing, steadying where we are. This is done energetically, so we're not getting a clearer idea of where we are, a thought of where we are, a particular powerful feeling. So, although you know the, these can be side effects of of uh, of wisdom and of concentration or of samadhi, is that with wisdom you do you can get some very good <coughs> ideas, and these are actually side effects of wisdom. You know. They're the bits that get swept off the table, if you like. The ideas. Um, because they're the, they are the, the residues of it. And there can be a real fascination with those. There's some very beautiful uh, ideas and structures and so on. And the Buddha himself you know, was quite clear about his own uh, teachings, his own conceptualizations, his own... Uh, teaching patterns, saying this is like, is a raft. You know, you pick it up, go across the stream, (coughs) don't carry it round, move on. Um, Those who cling to these views and ideas are stuck. So it's, it's, that's quite, I think it's quite a, uh, that itself is a hallmark of a very profound, uh, profoundly realized being, saying, you know, even the stuff I teach you, yeah, it takes you so far, uh, and is pointing beyond his own uh, conceptual, his own pat- conceptual patterns, his own teaching patterns. Not to deny them, but to see them as as steps along the way. And certainly, in our own practice, we can we get moments of realization, and then you do figure some things out, and that's quite that's useful in, in a, to a degree gives one confidence and you can um, a sense of you know there's the natural result of that but when you come into a situation and you're coming into the present with ideas then this is um, where it gets a little bit where one can lose one's balance you're trying to make the present situation fit the ideas you kind of wave the Anicca wand over the pain. You wave your Anatta wand over, you know, this kind of strong, strongly personal feelings and emotions. Mm. And so, in a way, the, this, is, this is when we, we are there's a certain interest in con- con- constructing these uh, patterns, and this again is bhava, when one clings to them, it leads to a particular kind of solidity. Uh, gives one confidence to a certain degree, and yet there's also a downfall with it. As you get clunky, you get heavy, you get loaded, and you lose the real transparency, clarity, clarity and immediacy of the innocent mind, the beginner's mind. Similarly, the power that arises with, um, with samadhi, and the sense of tremendous energy, um, a very beautiful kind of energy, um, is, is really not, is a, is a kind of side effect of it. in that one then tends to look down upon lesser states. You get a kind of samadhi, you get hungry for it. The qualities of, of joy, of rapture, of, of, of sense withdrawal. And you get a kind of dichotomy between core experience and surface experience. As you really like that settling down, settling in, you know, uh, Thoughts, feelings, moods, passing away, going into a, a very still and steady, potent space. And you, you know, well, this is this is the real stuff, and all this stuff out there is, you know, you know the weary old world. And of course, this means that that one is 
it's not to deny that one has strength, but also one is, is, is caught in a dualism. Whereby you never really um, understand uh, the nature of of the manifestations, you know, of the manifest, of of the, of the sensed, of the felt, and the the Buddha himself again is uh, quite clear in terms of his own realizations, saying you know, Buddha is not separate from the five khandhas the five categories of which experience forms itself in. It's not, Buddha is not separate from that. It's not other than that. It's not the same as that. It's not, it's being able to stand in the presence of feeling, sensation, uh, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, forms, and not get, uh, buy into them, not get possessed by them, not to reject, resist. So really our sphere of, of uh, clarity has no, it doesn't stand anywhere, it doesn't stand apart, it doesn't stand inside, it's, it's like this, uh, the transparency, the freedom to be present with the manifest as it arises and ceases, as it flows along. Now because not being able to, capable of doing that, when we get caught in bhava, when we get caught in making things, then the, the various amounts of confusion hurt that occurs cause the, the backlash of vibhava, which is withdrawal, get out, close down. It's difficult to say exactly which comes first you know, in this oscillation between bhava and vibhava. Mm. You probably notice elements of it occurring in, in, in a day, in a scenario, in a situation that you're in. You know, you try to make it work, try to make it work, and then give up, you know, shrug it off, slump back. They think, oh, well, then you, you know, one does that to some, some other occupation or situation. The Vibhava is like um, the, the withdrawal because of just the, the amount of pain and hurt that gets caused when we are, are helpless uh, to, to, to receive. Um, feelings we have no way of being in, standing in the presence we're overwhelmed by feeling overwhelmed by sensations overwhelmed by forms overwhelmed by moods overwhelmed by karma our own, other people's and so on so you get really bruised uh, and there's a kind of numbing out that occurs Sometimes it has to be, we have to do this quite deliberately, you know, with uh, numbing devices, um, smoking, drinking, um, you know, blocking in some way or another, um, ec- you know, using external props such as that. Or we're also, we do it uh, less, we don't, we don't always need such props, we, can, we do it ourselves with a certain tightening of the body, a certain hardening of the mind, a certain closing of the heart. <coughs> now all of us, the good news for all of us is that we're, um, we're half awake to all this. That's the good news. It's also, some of the bad news is that we're half awake to all this. <laughs> kind of like also half asleep. And sometimes you don't quite know which is which. <laughs> but then it's starting to kind of get a, a, a feeling for, oh, oh, you know, there's a lot, quite a bit of stuff there. Oh. <laughs> you know. Uh, and realizing, you know, the, 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 the numbing out, the shutting it down, 
neither works in the long run, nor does it in the short term is it satisfactory. We have the we meditate when we come into presence, and you, you find you know that the effect of being closed or tight or shut is just uh, really dead, you know, confused, slippery, sliding kind of experience. And we're awake to the the being drawn out when your energy just keeps you know winding you up all the time. This bhava quality, uh, where you just can't seem to to, to stay grounded, earthed. Mm-hmm. Meditation, the. Apart from you know the the say the particular techniques that one can use, and some of the rather um, enjoyable effects of it, the calming or the the uh, kind of uh, happinesses, the pleasures that can occur, which are all good food for the heart, good to 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 satisfy and to heal some of those hungers and and, and pains. Um, basically, it's it's the ability to be to be in the presence, to be in the presence of. Sometimes one would just like to be, you know, just have presence with nothing to be present with. You know, it's a nice empty, nothing going on, uh, and uh, it that that may pass through also the times when you know the, you get to the end of the particular page of the book of your life book and. There's a time when there's nothing there, it's, it's silent, and then, you know, it's like that, and then other things come along. Uh, the arising of things, the arising of dhammas. If one is really uh, interested in, in clearing, then uh, the arising of things, the arising of dhammas is something where we, uh, to look, to look for. Mm. Not to be uh, upset by or lose faith in oneself because stuff comes up. Stuff coming up is is the norm, um, and really, what one is looking for as a standard of practice is to be able to have stuff come up and stay balanced, stay present with that. to be disturbed and yet through standing in the presence of disturbance is where you get your, your greatest sense of strength and resource and stability somebody gave me a, a little Bodhi tree sapling a few years ago and this kind of little tiny little thing only a few inches high in a pot and they said, you know, you want this Bodhi tree to go strong every day. Pick it up and give the give the give it a good shake around. You know, so this poor little thing, the little stem about two inches high, and so I'd flick this stem, you know, ping it around a bit. <laughs> thing put down roots. <laughs> it's a really sturdy little tree. Uh, you know. We chitas, we plant a lot of trees. And first of all, you put kind of little stakes beside them. But then, ideally, you take the stake away so the tree has to feel the, the wind and the push to, set, to send down strong roots. And this, in a way, is a useful analogy for the tree of awakening. Mm. So one wants to be able to enter the field where there is disturbance without 
you know, losing without tumbling over in it. Meditation retreats give us a chance to look at some of the, the, the primary patterns of that disturbance. It may be when you're in your daily life and whatever uh, you know, one could say about maintaining presence and so forth in the daily run of things, the fact that we choose to go on retreats is a, is a sure sign that, yeah, that's a nice idea, but I don't actually manage it very well. I need some some uh, priming, I need some overhauls, I need some strengthening. And uh, the retreat offers that. One should also remember that the retreat is not a place where you actually get away from those primary patterns, but you have a little more strength and resource. They're not so, uh, they're not coming at you so strongly. Most of those primary disturbances occur in terms of your life situations, relationships with other people, things you have to do, your job, the thing where you get wound up, when you get dragged along, where you get you know conflicts and, and bashing up against people and getting let down by people and finding yourself in strange, you know, grisly, sticky states with other people, and wondering, you know, how do we get here? <laughs> And, and it's all, you know, but both, you know, if there's two or three of you, you know, everybody's kind of firing their own stuff into this pot. And it's really difficult to extricate which is mine, which is yours, and, you know, what, which, what did the cat bring in? In meditation, you know, you've got the chance to not be undisturbed, but to see what, you know, what disturbances are actually in my own uh, energy field and my own presence. And, um, just uh, recognizing that when we use a system or a technique, more or less anything, um, you know, whether it's just standing, doing a few exercises, walking, um, breathing, chanting, even even serving the meal, anything that has been you're fully conscious of, you're being made fully conscious of, and you're taking on as your own, then some of the, these disturbances will be present with that. They'll be there for you. And you shouldn't see it as purely related to that particular event. You know, if you feel a bit serving the food, you get kind of nervous as to whether you've given people enough, whether you're being a bit stingy, um, or you think, you know, they only get as much as they need and not a drop more. You know, you get kind of puritanical about it. <laughs> or there's a slight thing, well, if I, if I give a bit more, there won't be much left for me, you know. Uh, you know, or the kind of takes that, that, that one does on it, these things, you can't just feel easy about it and um, you know so even that is certainly um, you know you're witnessing disturbance patterns myself living as a as an arms mendicant for 25 years then you know a lot of the practices occurred through a lot of the, the insights occur around being disturbed, um, around the times when I'm meditating, around the times I'm not meditating. But whenever actually one is, is, is fully conscious, one is actually in a, in a situation where you're really uh, being present with what you're doing. And certainly arms rounds were, all, were always quite a, a trial in their own way. And food, the kind of you know, plays that, that can come out on, on that. You know, the, 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 you know, just the basic fear of not getting nourished. You know, kind of primary life instinct, give me food. <laughs> uh, and that, that food is held by other, an, an other 
an other person, not a fridge, not a cupboard, not a sh- but an other person has that food that I need. And, um, you know, it's got to come from them giving it to me. And, you know, what those three um, kind of things bring up, one, my need, two, my fear of the other person, third, my uh, disbelief that anybody's going to give me anything, (laughs) you know, just freely, unless I do something nice, you know, or or win them over, or sell them something, or, you know, kick them in the shins, or whatever, you know, there's the the real lack of faith, the, the, that, and uh, certainly going arms around, a very powerful experience of that. You know, you've got this manifestly empty bowl, and it's dark, and it's, you know, just after dawn, and you're wandering around, and you're not not supposed to ask for anything, or even sort of stand around loitering, you know, tapping your bowl, or (laughs) (laughs) weeping, or anything like that. Just calmly walk along as if you're just, you know, going out at five o'clock in the morning to listen to the birds sing. <laughs> but it's such a, 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 a focused situation that these these patterns come up, and then it has to um, you know, be present with that. However much one, you know, you, when you've done these arms rounds for a few days, then, then you know, you see how, how painful it is to be going out with those kind of mind states. The mistrust, the desperation, and the, the fear, or the, the nervousness about other people. And none of these do you have any way of allaying? Because um, there's no contact with the other person, you don't sort of chat them up in any way, there's a complete silence, so you, you can't allay the nervousness through that, there's no, not even eye contact in those things, there's no recognition. You know. um, there's definitely the understanding, if you don't get anything, then you don't get anything. And, um, you know, that's it for the day. You can't think, you know, go down the shops and buy a sandwich. Some of these arms are very challenging, particularly in Britain, you know, where you don't feel there's a whole Buddhist culture that's going to support you. you know. So, one has to actually start to acknowledge these these primary patterns. Stand with them. Feel them in your body, feel them in your nerves, feel them, how they're affecting your, your balance, your state of being. Uh, and you find that the quality of presence is not is is actually heightened by them. Because when one they take they those those um, afflictive patterns those afflictive energies. When you when you're present with them, and every all the the attempts one makes to make it otherwise, the bhavar attempts to you know to get something going, to construct something, to make something happen, can't be done. Neither can one withdraw from the scene. Then those two kind of energy processes, either going out or going back, are checked, and one can feel very very peaceful in the presence of um, this, these seeming afflictions. And the fear changes into uh, spaciousness. You just don't know. But instead of feeling, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. So I can't say 
it'll be hostile because I don't know. I can't take a dark view because I don't even know that. It may be, you know, one can't. So the fear is always, I don't know, but I imagine something bad is going to happen. So it tends towards a kind of, you know, creating, out of the unknown, creating something dark. Whereas uh, spaciousness is, I don't know, <laughs> something good might happen. You know? But not even anything might happen, we just don't know. And the mind's tendency to want to contract, even around some sort of negative state, as, well, you know, it's terrible, people are like this, the world's going to rot and ruin, you know, da, 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 what can you do? No, you don't know. The fear turns into a, a kind of spaciousness. Some of the experience of um, need, the hunger of need, and you, you look at that as more than just the, the physical need for food, it's the need for warmth, the need for shelter, the need for protection. The need, the mammals need, you know, we're, we're mammals and we need to something to, to be, to, to, we need to be warm, we need to be held, we need to be mother, father, you know, something there for us to, that's uh, part of our karma, we're not like lizards, maybe even lizards feel the same way, but humans certainly do. Um, and it's more powerful than actually the need for food. I think as one goes into to some of these, what, what, uh, you know, not getting food in, really implies is, you know, an, uh, an indifferent, cut-off universe that's not going to look after you. But it goes much deeper than pure physical nourishment. So a lot of it is just the, the wishing to be, to be held, and there is the the sense of not being held is a kind of is a grief, and so underneath need there's a kind of grief of being alone. That experience. Somebody, I was given the story of a, a, a kind of a story of just just how powerful that that need to be uh, held, to be in presence, to be to, have, to to be with something, to be to be connected to somebody is in this um, story of various experiments that were conducted with with monkeys with baby monkeys. This is a little bit um, searing, unfortunately. So just, uh, just the one I find it very, very uh, um, distressing. Um, that these very small kind of baby monkeys were one of these kind of experimental situations where they, they were giving a kind of like... Um, some sort of dummy thing, like a like a mother monkey, kind of woolly thing, woolly warm thing that they could kind of cling to and hang on to. Yeah. And they could do that, or they could let go of that and go over to the other side and get some food. But if they got the food, they had to let go of this other, this kind of warm, furry presence. And none of these monkeys would do it. And they do it to the point where they actually starve to death rather than let go and go across the, the cold, lonely place to where, there's, to where there's actual physical food. Mm. So, some of our, when you consider, you know, we're not that far up the line from, from monkeys, you know. 
and you find the various things that, that one just uh, finds oneself kind of uh, experiencing in the presence of other people you know the sense of there are there are beings there is the possibility of that but I don't know that it's you know so a sense of separation so I notice particularly in retreats how many people we wear blankets around us <laughs> I wear robes you know <laughs> it's something to <laughs> you know you always see people in retreats with things kind of <laughs> got their their mother monkeys with them you know and you sort of curl on that and it's nice to have your own mat and your own zafu so you get a little bit of companionship out of these things <laughs> some of the experience that one can have when you know when you hit into a disturbance in your, in yourself is the, the something like a certain desolation of feeling lost feeling alone feeling cut off and the yearning for simple warmth simple human warmth Now, rather like um, fear, um, you know, which these are things that we can just kind of try to cut off or pull ourselves out of, and just when you pull it when you do, you generally harden a little bit, you seal off a little bit. And it doesn't actually um, you don't transmute that. These particular things are, are not things that you, you get beyond as such. You can if you you can transmute them. This is you can you don't get beyond fear unless you're an idiot. You know, if you're if you're a psychopath, maybe you, you don't have any fear. You, you're really you know you're in a kind of psychotic state. You don't have fear. But if you're a normal human, you you have fear. You know, it's kind of built into the system. It's supposed to be there. Um, but when it becomes um, just rather than something that's engendered through a particular situation, when it becomes actually imprinted on you, so that you haven't been able to localize that as an event, and now the fear's passed, you're kind of carrying it around as every new situation is possibly threatening, you know, or people are frightening, and you know, the world is a hostile place, and so on. Then, you know, you have to stand. You have to tran- You can transmute that into spaciousness, and you can transmute. Grief turns into something that's about uh, love. Quite obviously, you realise that the 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 warmth that we need is our own. Is actually innate in our presence. It's not to say that that can't be engendered and catalyzed and evoked by other people. It's not to say, you know, nobody else counts. Of course, that's beautiful when it can. But the problem comes when one actually only localizes that warmth in another person, when it's only there. I don't know if you, you must have been into this one, yeah. I'm going to say there's two of you, and you think she's got the warmth for you, and she thinks you've got the warmth for her. But right now, you're a bit sort of wasted and bleak, you know. So actually, you need her to warm you up, but she's a bit wasted and bleak, and she's looking to you to warm her up. So (laughs) then, you know, hey, you let me down. And then the feeling of upset, betrayal. Mm. It's like you go into the, to the, you know, you go into the place looking for a nurse, 
and you, you, you grab hold of the nurse, but actually the nurse is this per- other person looking for a nurse too. And two sick people don't actually make one good nurse. <laughs> you just cling to each other. Give me the medicine. But I thought you had the medicine. <laughs> Such states, they're just direct honesty is the only, only you know, recourse. And because of, from that place, then of course, when one's honest, when one's present, say, okay, you know, there is the, the, the desperation or the fear or the need. Then, you know, just in that acknowledgement, one stands in the presence of that and the, the warmth starts to come up. Mm. The beauty of much of this stuff is that if one is able to, to acknowledge, to, to stand with, to open to, in other words, rather than to kind of deal with or, you know, make it go away or, you know, do something about it, or withdraw from it, which are those those kind of energetic experiences that we have, if we can actually stand there, then the shift happens by itself. You don't do anything. Your system does it. Or, you know, it does it by itself. That's an important thing to remember. You know, there's a little slogan, shift happens. I don't shift, shift happens just as it's happened for all of us many times. You know, the idea arose out of the state of this doubt and confusion. It happened. It came when we found a a standing place within our disturbance, on the edge of our disturbance. The shift happened for us. So it's... Um, it's wonderful and it's, it's true dharma that the, the very place of dis-ease is the place of, of satisfaction mm. As the, the Buddha said the four noble truths occur simultaneously in a moment of realization that is the experience of dukkha the experience of you just don't know where to go you don't know where the answer is and the the understanding of it as the the complete acknowledgement that that at that moment the shift happens there is the letting go of the of the origin of the kind of itching pushing withdrawing trying to make trying to get away from and we come into, when those energies stop, our energy pattern establishes itself in balance. And things don't actually stick. Their nature is not to stick. It's just this imbalance of energy that holds things to us. You notice, um, say, this afternoon, we just did a little, silly little thing, just letting the eyes move around the room, you know, rotating a little bit. And seeing what it's like to be able to, to have your visual consciousness just float around, move around, and, you know, just experience some of the, the slight snagging that occurs as objects come into view. It's the wish to kind of be clear about that or to hold that or to register that or what's that funny thing, you know? Or perhaps the difference between the light and the shade and the light's maybe just a little bit painful. The shade is soft and soothing. So you get these kind of contractions and, and movements of my of the eye. And um, realizing you can actually um, work with, with relaxing those so that, yes, there's seeing... Uh, there's a very pure kind of seeing. There's a seeing that's not disturbed, that's not agitated. We're in the presence of objects, and yet they're not sticking to us. We're not going out to them, nor are we withdrawing from them. You, then you can, of course, you you can you have a way of choosing to focus on objects, to withdraw from objects. But now that's more chosen than 
than um, compulsive or accidental. Things don't stick. It's our activities, the activity of our energy that seems to make them stick. So the manifestation and the manifest experiences are fine if one can find one's balance. One of the the third, perhaps most significant primary pattern is is rage, which can be frustration, exasperation, impatience irritation, shortness, grumpiness, snappiness, you know, it can be something quite diminished. Uh, And when you look into it, it is the raging against restriction, against, you know, one wants things to extend, they won't extend. One wants things to be shorter, they won't get shorter. kind of uh, experience that we can have particularly I imagine with most of our jobs, duties role plays and functions having to be a teacher manager having to be uh, something or the other you know, being held into that into that definition mm. And yeah, you know, you know, this is a good thing to do and it's all wonderful and so on, so on, so on, so But there's also the sense in which, uh, you know, one's boundlessness has been short-sold. You know, and the more as you live your life, you find yourself, you know, getting programmed into particular limited patterns of, of life. Life starts to shut you down, and um, you know there can be a, a sense of frustration and, and and rage about that. Meditation itself, something that you know, one has to, you know, trying to get attention onto this breath thing, and you think, oh, get out of this, um, or angry with the way that the mind won't won't behave. Won't fit in. These are the kind of patterns that can come up. Unless the life is wonderful for rage, because there's so many little things to fit into. Exasperating things, particularly when you have a a tradition, which all sorts of stuff that uh, you know is done. We say, why is it done? Because it's traditional. There's no, you know, who you, who you can, where's the complaints department on that one? You know? <laughs> so you, you, you kind of feel uh, just uh, sort of stuffed, as it should like. Uh, you know, and uh, so that kind of thing, apart from the, the whole restraint of it, and then the, you know, the moral restraint, the ethical restraint, the sense restraint which is kind of holding you back and then you get the tradition you know, which is this sort of and then also you get the, the institutional aspect of it you know when you live in a, and you get which is the monastery so you know the monastery is doing this it's time to do it everybody does this together you know, and events happen to the monastery but you realise there isn't a monastery there's just people uh, it happens to and you get a, you know, people get sense of real uh, frustration and anger with it, even though, uh, in many ways, it's um, you know it's a very wonderful, beautiful, and generous, and so forth opportunity. You know, plenty of teachings, meditation, free food, you know, all this sort of stuff. Nice people. So you think, well, why am I, why am I fed up? What's the matter with me? You know. Because all that's true, and yet, 
and that's the way it is with all of this stuff is, is you, you, you know you, you see, part of you sees there's nothing there to be you know frightened of there's nothing there to be embarrassed about there's nothing there to feel you know sad about you know you're in a warm pleasant convivial friendly environment and so on you're in a peaceful loving um, situation and yet you know you you have these disturbances problem is when when of course one only sees the disturbance as something that's localized there's like oh well it's because of this person or this situation or this particular thing then again we miss the point point is that realizing that these things are basic to everybody not because of what's happening now but just the very fact of being born when you're born you come into something where it's where you're vulnerable you're defenseless you're separated you're on you know you're on your own two feet you're cut off physically cut off um things happen to you you're kind of uh, you're stuck in it you're, in a way there's a sense of impotence that can occur. I mean it's, this isn't all that happens of course but these things definitely do happen these are definitely you know part of the basic kit the Buddha rightly said birth is dukkha not that there's you know, other, other elements but these are the the unavoidable elements we can't avoid them because they in a way are our definition they're around us we're still vulnerable we're still defenseless we're still impotent we're still kind of cut off in the, on, in the same places But when you awaken, you can awaken to that. You can awaken to that dukkha. You don't get away from it. You stand in the presence of it. And you find that the resource that a a human being has is this awakeness, this presence that can actually respond to the predicament of birth. To say that we're born is, of course, uh, a truism, an obvious truism. But to say that that's all we are would be to to just miss part of it. We're also unborn. We came from into this, and we half remember that, we're half awake to the boundlessness, the peacefulness the harmlessness we're half awake to that it's half there for us still and we're born into this Buddha is like the, the presence, this reminder of presence, pure presence. Buddha awakened the awake, that which is awakened to dukkha. Mm. It's awakened because of dukkha, it's awakened in the presence of dukkha. Buddha's, the moment of realization is realizing dukkha and not creating anything on it not withdrawing from it but being able to be in the presence of that so the dukkha unfolds into knowledge clarity compassion that frustration that anger becomes sheer clarity the the ability to specify and be specific and point and touch this is the 
first thing that you see that when you look at Buddha images, one of the first things that you see them do is they're touching, touching the ground. So it's the almost like the affirmation of this place here and the ability to touch it clearly is a Buddha, is awakening. Contemplate Buddha images, what they're about, really, you know, and they have beautifully expressive hands. Um, you know, the faces are often just quite simply present. It's the hands that give you the, the suggestions. Um, there's the touching the earth. There's the one called the fearlessness. The fearlessness is the is the hand up, palm out. I think what's, what's that to do with fearlessness? Or the, the fearlessness mudra. And just consider, you know, the turning of the hand, which is the, the soft palm. It's like the willingness to contact. You know, this is our primary contact mode, isn't it? You touch things with your hand, you feel it. And a complete open hand, there's nothing... To, you're willing to touch anything. There's nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. And these are, if you like, some of the, you know, you look at those hands, they give us suggestions of ways to cultivate our energy. I think I've talked a little bit about um, the energy which is about descending, which is, if you like, coming down, coming into. You know. And um, coming into the very core of being. And rising up, which is rising up into like the the energy that, that comes out and attends or is present, is present with things. Mm. And this is rather like the, op- the open hand turned out. Just imagining, you know, turning, doing that with your, with, your, with your energy, with your attention, just turning it out, not to kind of grasp something or fiddle with something, you know, pick up something, but just to turn it out. You know, and, and touch and hold with the eyes, hold with the with your your body sense. You know, even when you're not actually using the more um, agile sense organs, the more activated sense organs, just like coming up to the surface of your skin, feeling the space around you, feeling the maybe the coolness or the warmth, but really coming up, feeling yourself coming to the surface of your body, the soft skin, without, you know, covering it or sheltering it or, you know, half hanging back. So we can turn energy that way. And when you do, that is... That's not going spinning out onto things, not seeking or making anything, it's just being present with. And you find in that there's a, there's a balance, there's a steadying effect. When it's very pure, when one really, there's no bias in that, when there's no seeking or withdrawing in that, what can occur is the very sense of the subject as well as the object falls away with just presence. This is a useful um, way of cultivating, particularly for moving around, living in our eyes open contact state. Just to be able to contact without 
commentary without pushing it, without fiddling with it. Also, when we practice going inwards into a, a core experience, making sure that that, you know, just as going outwards, is so so often characterized by need, push, defend, and so on. Going in with characterized, going to the core gets characterized by the get me out of here, withdrawn, shut down experience. So there's a kind of a just the of a, more like a, a, a sustained collapse rather than non-attachment. <laughs> so in terms of, of, of um, sustaining or going into a core, one needs to um, be able to and cultivate the kind of uh, clarity of purpose, clarity of intent. This is one of the ways to be um, be clear about that is to be to be able to cultivate particular energy paths in the body, so you can travel within the body in the sense of you know you're going you're going you're going along in particular ways where you're still able to track and trace and hold to that. Mm. These are say two particular gestures in, in mind cultivation and within those you, you again you, you're bound to come up against those disturbance patterns those, those things of you know withdrawal or frustration trying to push it trying to make it work trying to push it away and so on In terms of the process of meditation, of dharmas arising, then a simple rule of presence is to be to look for being specific, which in a way is the transmutation of one's one's irritation. Is really you know if you be irritated, you know the irritation gives you a very localized sense of contact. Try to be quite specific about what it is, however wrong and irrational and so forth it is. Just to, just to be able to get clear and define it, to note what it is. Actually the, the, the clearer you hold something, the more the less it's liable to hold you, to catch you. So being able to track and trace Sensation, mood, however it moves in the body and the mind. Stay spacious around it. Um, there can be a tendency when one experiences difficulties or resistances to try to kind of shove through, push through. But that kind of pushy energy is, is of, which is of associated with, with rage and irritation is just to be used to be clear, not to actually make anything happen it's just to be clear and normally once one is clear one then creates space around an experience that is you know just well wait let's just stand here for a while you know let's get and maybe you need to create more space perhaps you have a little bit of space maybe you need to make it bigger um, sometimes you actually have to you know get to, to the outer edges of your body to find enough space you can't just do it in your breath. It's not big enough. So you go to the outer edges of your body. Sometimes that's not big enough to go outside, stand in a field. <laughs> you know, that's maybe that's big enough. You know, you get something that's kind of got a bit of um, fire in it. You know, it's not your body can't hold it, and its own breath can't hold it. So just creating the kind of space that you need 
being able to, to realize that's an important requirement to to find that space. If you don't get the right amount of space, you, you can't actually digest and, and and process something. You end up sort of seize, you know, convulsing or collapsing. The other is the ability to to use that 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 energy that we have, the warmth, the warm-heartedness, which our experience of that when it's afflicted is of being cut off, um, separated. But the actuality of our awakened energy is we're never cut off. We're always empathizing with something. We're always chiming with something. We're always resonant with something. So energetically, there's no separation. It's just on the sensory, on the sensory field, the separation. Energetically, we, we vibrate continually. Um, and you come in, you come into the room. Part of you is still oscillating from what happened two minutes ago. When you get to the end of the sitting, you ring the bell. You know, it takes a little while for for. Know, to come up out of that, out of those vibrations, out of those echoes into this, and so on. And so, you know, sure, as you know, there's, there's, there's echoes all the time in our system. Now, the ability to, with any kind of disturbance of experience, is to learn to, to resonate with it. This is, say, com- compassion to feel with. Which doesn't mean to, to, to smarm it with sugar and you know make it go away by being nice to it, you know, which is the kind of um, treatment sometimes that children get. You know, have a lollipop kid. Uh, it's not that kind of patronising, cheer me up kind of stuff. Jolly along. It's the compassion to to feel the feeling to vibrate, to resonate with the feeling, to enter into the feeling in that, in that way of, of, of sustaining resonance. It means to feel sad, but not be confused by that or panicked by it. It means to feel the pain without the flinching and the something going wrong and the what should I do about this. And often that's that's really all that was ever required. And in the feeling, something is felt, something is expressed, something is processed, something is gone through, and the, there's a shift, a shift occurs. And this is the, the miracle of compassion. Compassion asks us to accept and enter our helplessness. and make that, strangely enough, one of our refuges. So, I'll offer this for your reflection tonight.